0: My name is Jason. I'm one of the teaching pastors here as well. I just, you haven't seen me teach for a long time, and maybe this is some of you. It might be the first time. So, um, <coughs> excuse me, I'm really excited uh, to be back in this role and, and, and getting back into the, the rotation of teaching. And, uh, but I got a question for you this morning, but I'm not going to tell you what it is. You have to wait, but I want you to put that in your brain this morning. I got a question that I'm going to ask you So just keep that in your brain, and when we get there, you're going to go, ah, I bet that's the question. I'll tell you too, but I got a question for you. I'm just not going to tell you what it is right now. How many of you, and you can raise your hand on this one because it's not going to be embarrassing. The second one, don't raise your hand. First one, how many of you, like, you know, we have battles in our world, and how many of you battle your body and went out and purchased some exercise equipment for your home? How many, just be honest, you know, know, it's good, it's good. You know, we battle against our body. My doctor tells me, he says, you know, you can't do what you did when you're in your 20s, now that you're in your 30s. And um, (laughs) why why are you laughing? Yeah, (laughs) yeah, exactly. Thank you for that. You can't do what you used to do. You know, as you get older, it's harder. Your body, is, you got to battle. It's hard to lose those pounds. It's hard to stay fit. It, it's a battle. But how many of you started out with great intentions, and you, you're like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to work out. And you you got that tread climber or whatever it is, and and you got your book, and you're going to read, and you did it for a few weeks, but then pretty soon it ended up pretty looking pretty much like that. Now, you don't have to raise your hand for that one because... I know that that is really, honestly, human nature. Um, We start out in battle and we get weary. The body—I mean, it's hard. It's hard to transform your body. I look at some of these athletes that are going to the Olympics, and um, I have a daughter who is is an athlete, and the you know the expectations of them and what they have to put in and what they have to do to get to that level um, is insane, and it takes dedication and it's a battle. I know that those, you know, those swimmers and ice skaters who are showing up at four o'clock in the morning at the ice rink or the swimming pool or whatever the case, whatever sport it is, and they're just working, working, working. It is a battle. I am fascinated with Mount Everest. And um, I'm fascinated with the people who climb Mount Everest. If you've ever looked at any documentaries or read any books about it, it just absolutely fascinates me. It is unbelievable what people go through to climb that mountain. Mount Rainier is 14,400, 14,800, somewhere in that range. It's double that. It's over double that. I know some people in here probably have climbed Mount Rainier. I know Mario has, a couple others. That's a battle, let alone adding another 14, 15, 16,000 feet. Sir Edmund Hillary, who, yeah, he'll come up. He was the first one to climb Everest, and his battle was not only the mountain, but he had a political battle, because China and Tibet owned kind of each own half the mountain, and Tibet didn't want to let him climb, so China let him climb, and it was a, a political battle. Then, he had the battle of the elements. They didn't have Gore-Tex and all the stuff that we have today in technology, they climbed it without oxygen, and he climbed up the north side, which if you know anything about Everest, the north side is much more difficult because that's the only way out they had. They did it without ropes. Unbelievable. You know, today, if you climb Everest, I was talking to someone after the service, and he was telling me, you know, you can climb it for as low as $20,000, or it can cost you as much as sixty dollars to $80,000 or more to climb it. It is a battle because when you get to those elevations, you have to spend just a few weeks at the base camp. You can't even go up. You got to spend time at the base camp to acclimate to the altitude. That is the biggest battle: is the altitude and oxygen. You know, the battle, there's 5,000 plus people who have climbed it. Most of them did it without ox, or With oxygen, the real battle is to do it without oxygen. That's kind of the new thing. It's a battle. And so these are the kind of battles that, you know, we think about. Um, you could think about um, physical battles, or you can think about these kind of battles. How many of you know someone who loves to argue? They have to win. It's a battle for them. Like, I am not backing down. I know a couple lawyers, and uh, I love lawyers. They, they serve a purpose. And they're, I mean, they're amazing at what they do. But every lawyer, I think every lawyer I know loves to argue. I think it's just built in them. It's inherently, and that's not a bad thing. They just love to argue and they have to win. How about pastors? I know a few pastors that I've served with who they love to argue. I mean, they, they just want to battle and they have to win. And quite frankly, it gets tiring at times. Have you ever been around someone like that? Husbands, do not elbow your wife at this moment. Wives, do not elbow your husbands at this moment. How many of you have teenagers? Yeah, I had three up until a month ago. Now I have two because the oldest one turned 21. Ever battle your teenager? Parents don't laugh. We have battles all the time. We have battle all the time and some are more overt, some are more obvious, and some are more subtle. Life is a series of battles, and most of our battles, I'm convinced, are pretty safe. If you think about it, (coughs) most of the battles we battle, they're pretty safe because we choose which ones we can win. That's human nature. Like, I'm not doing that. There's no way. If, I, like if someone were to say to you, Jason, I challenge you to climb Mount Everest, that's probably not a battle I'm going to accept, because I can't, I can't, there's probably no way. Um, a few years ago, a friend of mine, Terry Gurno, was here. He used to be on staff here. He and his son ran the Ironman in um, Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. This was about five years ago. He, Terry was 57 years old, and I'm like, I'm sitting here going, no, not going to happen. I couldn't run a marathon if my life depended on it. But he did it. It was a battle. I remember him telling me. And then later, about a month later, after he was here on Father's Day, I think Tom and me and several of us were sitting on the internet late at night in our homes, watching the end to see if he could finish. He finished five minutes before the cutoff. He was the last finisher in that Ironman. And it it was amazing. The whole crowd was there cheering him on. I'm like, you talk about a battle. And it was like 100 degrees. It was crazy. The battles we face, some are obvious, some are more subtle. And I think it's human nature that we battle the ones we control. But here's the reality. Whether you like it or not, there is a battle raging in and around us every day see the battles started with Adam and Eve you got, I, I was told by a really good preacher he said you gotta help people get into the Bible story so I want you to picture yourself in Eden this morning I know that's really difficult everything's provided for us your food is plentiful you, shelter everything's perfect I mean everything's perfect and then all of a sudden you sin and you're booted out okay It's now sand, no animals, no shade, no water. It's a battle for life. It's a battle for existence. How about the Israelites? If you've ever studied Exodus, it's one of my favorite books. Talk about the Israelites coming out of Egypt and going to the promised land, which took them 40 years. Should have taken them, I think, three weeks. Took them 40 years. They were out in the desert. You talk about a battle. They battled every day for food, and they grumbled and complained. And if you've, ever, if you've ever studied this, remember, my view of the Israelites when I was a little kid is like, oh yeah, there's 30 or 40 of mountain tents. Scholars think that there was between one and a half million and two million of them. So you can just imagine the battles that they faced for food. So God gave them manna. If you don't know what manna is, I encourage you to look it up in Exodus, Somebody said in the first service, it was disgusting. Well, it was disgusting, but God knew what they needed, and he provided. But they battled all the time. They battled through everything. How about the Revolutionary War? You know, if you look at the statistics, if you look at what happened in the Revolutionary War, we should never have won that battle. Should never, but people battled. They never gave up. Then a war against communism, how about that? I wasn't alive for the whole McCarthyism thing, so I've read about it and studied it. I wasn't alive for that fear kind of, uh, but I was alive and was in college when the Berlin Wall fell. And I remember going to a professor's house that night because we didn't have a TV. And I remember going to the and and watching the Berlin Wall fall and watching tears stream down his face because he grew up in Germany and he spent time in Germany for his doctorate that was my professor. And I remember him just... And I remember sitting there going, okay, that's significant, but I didn't didn't have that battle with communism. I never really, I mean, I knew about it, but didn't live it like he did. There will always be an enemy though, and that's what we have to recognize. So there's battles. With battle comes an enemy. 1 Peter 5, 8, 9 says this, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. See, the reality is we go to battle every day, and what is at stake? Remember that question I was gonna ask you? What's at stake? What's what's on the left side behind the ribcage? The heart. That is what is at stake. The battle we face is for the hearts of all the, for ourselves and each of us around us. In Nehemiah, see, the battle is for the city and the people within. If you control the city, you control the resources, water, food, shelter, and the people within that city. Walls and gates were in place to protect. If the walls fell, the city fell, and usually people were either wiped out or enslaved, People came back into the city at night. They might go out during the day, (coughs) markets or whatever, but they came back in at night because it was safe. The society and the culture centered around the city walls. There was no suburban sprawl. Now, I want you to put yourself in this mode. We're going to talk about Nehemiah 4 this morning. I was going to paraphrase it, but I'm going to read a lot of it because it just lays out the story so well. So I want you to like, if you want to close your eyes, whatever you want to do, but I want you to put yourself in that city. So the city's walls have been destroyed. You are living in a place of fear. You are living in a place where you don't know where the next attack is going to come from. You're living in a place where resources are short and thin, food, water, shelter. The city is, is, is vulnerable. That means your family, your children, your wife, your husband, they're vulnerable to attack. So let me paint you a picture. So Sandballot, see, they started rebuilding the walls and they had enemies, Sandballot was his name. Such a great name. Sandballot was very angry when he learned that they were rebuilding the walls. He flew into a rage and mocked the Jews, saying in front of his friends and Sumerian army the officers, what does this poor bunch of feeble Jews think they're doing? Do they think they can build a wall in a single day by just offering sacrifices? Do they think they can make something of stones from a rubbish heap and charred ones at that? See, the Jews... We're being mocked by Sanballat and his buddies. Listen to Nehemiah's response. Then I prayed, hear us, our God, for we are being mocked. May their scoffing fall back on their own heads, and may they themselves be captives in a foreign land. Pretty strong prayer. But Nehemiah realized one thing. The battle was partly his, but it was more, it was God's battle. At last, the wall was completed to half its height around the entire city. Now, I don't want you to think of the city being like the size of Gateway here. Imagine if we had to construct a wall around Paul's bow. That's a fair amount of work, let alone the resources needed to do that. So they, they, they built the wall to about half the height, and the people worked with enthusiasm. But when Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the Ashadites heard what the work was going on ahead, and that their gaps in the wall in Jerusalem were being filled, they were furious. What happened? They made plans to come and fight against Jerusalem and throw us into confusion. Okay, Nehemiah responds again, and he says this, but we prayed to our God and guarded the city day and night to protect ourselves. So it was a a battle that both were in. They prayed to God, but they also protected. (coughs) Sorry. Sorry. The Jews who lived near the enemy came and told us again and again, they'll come from all directions and attack. So I placed armed guards at the lowest points of the wall and exposed areas. I stationed people to, to stand guard with by families armed with swords, spears, and bows. Then as I looked over the situation, I called together the nobles and the rest of the people and said to them, don't be afraid of the enemy. Remember the Lord who is our great who is great and glorious and fight for your brothers your sons your daughters your wives and your homes. Okay, I present to you today that's the battle that we face. The battle is for our is for our brothers, sisters, sons, daughters, husbands, wives and homes. The battle is for the heart. Back to Nehemiah. When our enemies heard that we knew of their plans and that God had frustrated them, we all returned to our work on the wall, but from then on, only half the men worked while the other half stood guard, with spears, shields, bows, and coats of mail. The leaders stationed themselves behind the people of Judah who were building the wall. I want to say to you, as pastors, that's our role, is to stand behind you who are building the wall. We're there to support you. We're there to guide you. That's a pastoral shepherding. That's That's our calling. So we're there to support you. We're there to stand behind you as you build the walls of your heart. The laborers carried on the work, and this is important. The laborers carried on their work with one hand supporting their load and the other hand holding a weapon. So they were working, I mean, this is tiring. They're working trying to rebuild this wall at breakneck speed, but yet they're holding a weapon, most likely a sword or something like that, or hammer or whatever. Today is different. I don't think we're going to be building physical walls unless we go into some sort of apocalyptic like uh, zombie thing, which I don't think is going to happen. Uh, if I, I'm sorry, if, you know, if it does, then you can say, hey, I told you so. But um, we're not probably going to build, be building walls. Rarely do we have physical battles. Yeah, we battle with our bodies and doing things like climbing Mount Everest or whatever the case may be. We do have those who mock us, and to put it in current terms, Christianity has been culturally canceled. Now before you raise up and get angry and militant and vigilant, and that's not a, I mean, before you do that, let's talk about that a little bit, because I think our response is important. What is our battle? Here's our battle. Our battle is not to let the enemy, of the enemy of our heart inside the walls of our heart. That's the battle we face. It's not building a wall. It's not letting the enemy get within the walls of our heart. 1 Peter 5, 8 says, "'Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, "'the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, "'seeking whom he may devour. "'Resist him, steadfast in the faith, "'knowing that the same sufferings are experienced, By your brotherhood in the world we're living that be sober be vigilant because the enemy is looking for who to devour and the enemy is using i hate to give the enemy credit but he's really good at what he does and he has us focused on things that i don't think we should be focusing on we've got to focus on our hearts we've got to focus on the condition of our hearts moving forward that's the most important thing Ephesians 6:12 says, "For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers of this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places." See, that's why I said when I said we've been culturally canceled, and immediately I saw saw, you like you bristled. We're gonna fight. We're gonna fight. But here's the thing: is our fight supposed to be over masks? Is our fight supposed to be over morality and ethics? Is our fight supposed to be trying to impose Christian principles on a society that is increasingly post-Christian? Is our battle on social media? And if that stung a little, I'm sorry. I know a lot of Christians, and I, I, I don't want to make this a negative thing, but I know a lot of Christians who spend a great deal of time battling on social media can I tell you this I have a lot of friends on both sides of the aisle whether it's politically morally whatever you want to call it when someone who is directly opposed to me posts something that they strongly feel about not one time have I said wow I am completely wrong I'm gonna go the other direction Now, don't get me wrong. Does that mean we don't engage in culture? Absolutely not. Does that become, mean we're passive? Absolutely not. Does that mean we should be non-active politically? Absolutely not. But I think we have to figure out what's at stake and then take action. I'm not sure the first course of action is putting a post on Facebook or Instagram or Snapchat or FaceChat, whatever you want to call it. See, the Bible says in Proverbs 4.23, guard your heart above what is underlined all else, for it determines the course of our life. Are we prepared? Are our hearts being transformed? Are we even acknowledging that there's a battle? See, if we stay passive and avoid the battle that we face, then the enemy doesn't have to worry about us. I'll tell you when the enemy is worried is when a church reflects who Jesus Christ is and they reflect who Jesus is in the community and are making a difference and people are coming to know Jesus. That's when the enemy gets worried. Sometimes I say this somewhat tongue-in-cheek, but if I don't preach something that someone challenges me on, then I haven't gone far enough. If the church isn't doing something that the culture says, the church shouldn't be doing that, then we probably haven't gone far enough. But where does it all come from? It comes from the heart I'll tell you what, Pastor Tom has a heart for this community. I've lived here, uh, well, we've lived back in Kitsap County now for uh, nine years. maybe be ten years next year. So I've lived in uh, Paulsbo now for about uh, four years. Tom has a passion and a heart for this city. And everything he does wants to see people come to know Jesus. And I know that this church has a heart for this city. But you want to see a community transformed? You want to see the enemy go to battle with us? start going out these doors and making a difference in this community that's when the enemy will come fight us because most of the time we just have our happy christian lives we go to church we hang out with all christian friends we listen to christian radio we watch fox news we complain about the culture did that hurt a little sorry i'm not saying fox is all wrong but we we tend to get in our own little bubble and we just have these happy, happy Christian lives. I think we have this impression that the Christian life is just gonna be, you know, uh, uh, roses and, and, you know, happy, go, jaunting to the field, holding hands with Jesus. We, we call it, we, uh, we, a friend of mine called it, uh, boyfriend Jesus, yeah. Like we have this, we have this idea that there's just, just gonna be happy life. The reality is we have a vicious battle that's raging in the heavenly realms. And the battle is over our hearts. And the battle is for our children and their children and our husbands and our wives and our homes. That's where our battle lies. When the heart is transformed, the battle's won. I served under a pastor in Chicago that I I greatly respect. I love him to death. Talked to him maybe three, couple months ago. Um, I just absolutely love him because he brought this whole idea of heart transformation versus behavior modification, Too often in church, we're talking about don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, and it's behavior modification. But I submit to you that if the heart is transformed, the behavior will be taken care of. If the heart is changed and transformed in the image of Jesus, you'll treat your spouse better. If the heart is transformed, you'll treat your children better. If the heart is transformed, you'll treat your your workers better. If you're a boss, if you're a supervisor, if your heart is transformed and in the image of Jesus, they'll notice. They'll notice how you treat them. I've heard a lot of stories, and this is not, a, not a, um, a knock on Christian business leaders, but I've heard a lot of stories about Christian business leaders who are very different in church than they are when they run their business. I don't think the two are mutually exclusive. I had a friend who was a builder in Chicago, and I toured one of his houses. He was a custom builder, big, big time homes. He's a custom builder, and we were talking about stuff, and he said, I will never build a house for another Christian again. And I'm like, He's a believer. I said, what do you mean, Mike? He goes, they're terrible. They're the worst people to work with in the entire world. I was like, I honestly was shocked. I said, tell me more about the, what you're talking about. I can't go into that. But the heart, the condition of the heart, the battlefield is over the heart. Are we prepared? When the heart is transformed, we, we win the battle. Luke 6.45 says this. A good person produces good things from what? From the treasury of a good heart. And an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. What you say, and I submit do, flows from what is in your heart. Life is a series of battles. How do we fight? Now you say, Jason, okay, you, you, you made it clear. How do we fight? And I can't, excuse me, get into this too much because we'll be here all afternoon, but... Ephesians 6.11 says this, put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against the strategies of the devil. If you grew up in Sunday school, I did. I learned about the belt of truth, the armor of righteousness, the shoes of peace, of good news, the readiness to preach the good news of God, to hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on the salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Remember back in Nehemiah, they worked with one hand and they held a weapon in the other. Our weapon is the word. Our weapon is the strength that the word gives us. We're gonna sing a song at the end that says, you make me brave. We are brave and we are able to withstand the war. We are able to withstand the battle because we have the word inside of our hearts. You know, if, if, you, could, if you could view a Crosspoint or a Eagles Campus Chapel, when the, especially the elementary kids get up, they recite verses, they learn verses every week. And I'm like, they have no idea how important those verses are because when they get to be your and my age and they face the battles that we face, those verses will come through. That, that verse that says, be sober, be vigilant. I have an old album by the group Truth and I sing it. Be sober, be vigilant because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion. I remember those verses and when I face the battle, I'll sing that song, just not today. Um, the battle we face is over the heart and the word is our weapon. See, I don't believe Christianity is to be militant. You know, the Crusades, if you've studied the Crusades, those were not Christianity and Islam's finest hour. Horrible atrocities were done in the name of Jesus. Basically, believe or die. And Islam, believe or die. I don't think the Christianity that you and I live today is a militant type of Christianity. What I believe it is, is the battle is a spiritual one over our hearts. And does our character reflect God when we're going through everyday life? I said this earlier, but I'm going to challenge you. Where is your heart? If you're a business owner, how do you treat your employees? Would your employees look at you and say, wow i love working for that guy or gal they treat me with respect there's clearly something different about them than any other boss i've ever worked for where's your heart as parents where's your heart i had three teenagers up until a month ago now i have two teenagers she didn't die but turned 21 how do you parent? As a dad, how do I parent? Is my heart in a condition so that I can help my kids? I've got my second one going off to college in the fall. Is my heart prepared to help her with everything that, that uh, she's going to face? How can I parent her now from a little bit of distance? As husbands, as wives, how's your heart? How's your heart with your spouse? If it's hurting... I understand. God can fix it with you. But it's a transformation of the heart that has to take place. As neighbors, how's your heart? When that neighbor's playing loud music late at night, they're swearing in their backyard, smoking funny stuff. They've infringed upon your property. They've done damage. They parked their cars all over the, whatever the case may be. How's your heart? doesn't mean people, it doesn't mean, again, it doesn't mean we just go, oh, I'm just a Christian, and I don't want to cause any problems, and I don't really want to rock the boat. That is not the Christianity that I'm talking about. Where's your heart? Maybe you should go help them fix whatever was damaged. How's our heart as a representative of Christ? The Bible talks about us being ambassadors. When we send ambassadors to another country, they're representative of the United States. We're ambassadors in our neighborhoods. We're ambassadors in our workplace. We're ambassadors in our homes. We're ambassadors in our schools. Teachers, I think, should get huge crowns in heaven. And administrators of teachers should get even bigger crowns of heaven. Because they have to deal with us, the parents. How's your heart? Whatever you do, how's your heart? The battlefields for our heart. Remember that in Nehemiah, they carried a weapon with them. And we've got to do the same. If you haven't joined a discipleship group, I would encourage you to. If you're not in a Bible study... I would encourage you to get in a Bible study. I, I encourage you to be around other Christians. Don't get me wrong. It doesn't mean we can't hang out with other Christians. But I encourage you to get in a Bible study so you learn that weapon, so you can, uh, you can uh, field that weapon. Because the enemy wants us just to keep us in a place where we're like, yeah, it's good, went to church. Yeah, listen, Casey Mass. Yeah, I, I, I try to pray before I eat. I try to do all the right things. That, that's not Christianity. That's fire insurance. I want the type of Christianity where people in this community know that Gateway loves Jesus. We love each other and we love our neighborhoods and we love our workplaces. We had a, we had a memorial here on Friday for a little boy who was 14 years old and um, this place was packed. He died in an ATV accident. I was playing piano, playing Amazing Grace, and my heart was breaking for the family. My heart was breaking for the people who were in this room. They They weren't church members here, so it was a community memorial. My heart was breaking, and I'm like, the battle is for the heart's And the lives of every person. The battle is for the hearts and lives of your children and your grandchildren and your homes and your husbands and your wives and your future husbands and your future wives and whoever you may deal with. That's the battle we face. We're going to sing this song. It's called You Make Me Brave. And maybe this morning you're like, Jason, I'm weak. I don't feel strong. I don't feel like I'm capable of going into battle. It's okay, because here's the beauty. Jesus takes you wherever you're at, and he says, I'll strengthen you. I'll give you peace. I will be standing behind you. And you know what? Your pastors stand behind you, too. We stand behind you when those battles come. Pastor Josiah stands behind those kids when battles come. Pastor Shelley stands behind those children when battles come. And you don't think there are battles? You should hear some of the prayer requests that come in children's ministries, sometimes Shelly will share them with us, you wouldn't believe the battles that these kids are going through. The battle is for the heart. And this morning, Jesus wants to say, trust me with your heart. I'll take care of it. Maybe your heart has been hurting. Maybe you've been damaged. Something someone has said, the way you've been treated, whatever it may be, Maybe be more, far more drastic than that. I believe Jesus is saying to some in this room this morning, trust me with your heart. I will not let you down. I will not let you go. I don't normally cry. I just feel like there's, I feel like Jesus is doing some work right now. He wants your heart and he wants the heart of your children and your grandchildren and your husband and your wife and your spouse. That's the battlefield Bill Heibel said this, the local church is the hope of the world, but the battle is in the home. Let's, it's about us. <laughs> the battle's about our hearts. So they're going to sing this song. Jesus, you make me brave. You might need some bravery this morning. You might need to say to Jesus, Jesus, I need a fresh start. I need to start again. You might say, Jesus, I've, I've been in the battle, but I'm weary Whatever it may be, wherever you may be out this morning, Jesus will meet you there and he will transform your heart if you'll let him. Heavenly Father, you love us more than we could possibly understand or even imagine. You care about our heart the most. You don't care about our Facebook page. You don't care about masks. You care about the heart and the condition of our heart. This morning, Lord, I pray for every person, including myself in this room, online, our children, our youth, Espanol, everybody. God, I pray that you will deal with our hearts, and I pray that we would be humble enough to let you work on our hearts. Sometimes, Lord, we put up walls of pride. Shatter those walls, Lord Jesus, so that you can deal with our hearts. Help us to be strong, Lord. Help us to get in your word. Use that weapon for what it's for, to stand firm, be sober, be vigilant. Help us to get in the word, Lord Jesus. Reveal your word to us. Give us strength, Lord. There might be someone who are just feeling weak and weary. I pray you give them strength, that they would have a supernatural sense of you standing beside them, standing behind them, as the rulers did in Nehemiah. Jesus, we serve you, we worship you, and thank you for giving us strength in your name. Amen.